On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Happy Friday. Welcome in New York, New York. With yours truly, JJ John Strzemski right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And who knew that the Yankees could lose on Thursday? Garrett Cole could get absolutely shellacked. The Yankees miss another opportunity to sweep. The Rays put up two touchdowns. And yet I am in this high-flying, giddy mood to start off the weekend. Why may that be? I think if you're a Yankee fan, you know exactly why. What is something that I have been screaming about on this podcast since we started in April? The Yankees are not left-handed enough. Well, they go and get Joey Gallo. We did our Spotify green room. Liked the move, didn't love the move. Understood what Brian Cashman and the Yankees were looking to accomplish. Lefty power, defense, on base. Versatility. I like that move, especially considering the Yankees didn't give up their top prospects. You're waiting to see if they were done. Well, they're not done because they got one of my favorite players in all of baseball. No exaggeration. I have been screaming about Anthony Rizzo as a fit for the New York Yankees going back to last year when there were rumors about the Chicago Cubs changing their core. And blowing up their team. I love Rizzo's game. He is a leader. He's got pop. He's a tremendous defensive first baseman. And he doesn't strike out. So from that standpoint, he's the anti-Joey Gallo. But I have to admit, as the day is materializing, and I'm like refreshing Twitter. And with the way this Thursday played out in sports, everybody's probably wearing out their thumbs refreshing Twitter. Baseball trade rumors. The Lakers making this asinine Russell Westbrook trade, which we will get to later. All the NBA draft stuff, even though if you watch the draft and you stay on Twitter, it's the ultimate buzzkill. So I have a little bit of Twitter fatigue. 
So I kind of was of the belief at around 5 o'clock that Anthony Rizzo was going to get traded to the Boston Red Sox. They had a need for first base. They were going to miss out on Max Scherzer, who, oh, by the way, got traded along with Trey Turner today. So all that's going on, I'm like, yeah, Rizzo's going to be a Red Sox. I don't know why. I took a nap. I never, trust me when I say this, I never take late afternoon naps. I don't know what it was. Long day golf yesterday, Spotify green room, four-mile run, a lot of wear and tear on the skinny physique, but I took a nap. I woke up probably around eh, quarter to seven, seven o'clock, to a barrage of text messages, and I'm like, well, what in God's name happened? Because it's just text after text after text after text. And as I scrolled through one or two, I was like, you got to be kidding me. The Yankees got Rizzo? I'm doing a lap in the apartment. I woke up immediately. I'm tweeting up a storm. Fabulous move by Brian Cashman. Fabulous move by the New York Yankees. Nice for the Yankees to go remind you that after all, they're the Yankees. They haven't had an active trade deadline in the last couple of years. They did in 2017. They got Frazier, Robertson, and Canley. They got Sonny Gray from the A's. But the last couple of years, Yankees been kind of quiet, especially in 2019. That bothered me. 2020, pandemic year, didn't do anything. Hallelujah. Thank heavens. Brian Cashman has finally acknowledged the Yankees need balance. The Yankees need left-handed power bats. They got two of the three best available on the open market. Gallo and Rizzo. And it signals they're all in in 2021. This lineup should look a heck of a lot different when you watch him Friday night against the Miami Marlins. You got to figure Luke Voigt going to be wearing a different uniform between now and the weekend. But I can't wait to see how the Yankees try to draw this up. How they try to go left and right when they can. They got a player with serious winning DNA written all over them. I can't stress enough how happy I am that Rizzo is a Yankee. And especially that he's not a Boston Red Sox. They had a pivot. They go and get Kyle Schwarber. I don't think that's the move the Red Sox wanted to make. No, I love Schwarber's game. He's going to hit bombs. But he's not a first baseman. He's a terrible outfielder. And the Boston Red Sox have J.D. Martinez. So you're telling me Schwarber's playing first base? Or are you telling me that Kyle Schwarber is going to be a left fielder or a DH? I have no idea. He's going to play when he comes back. But these were major, major moves by the New York Yankees. Long overdue for people like me and for many of the Yankee fans out there. And I got to be wondering, what's next? Because they still got some money to play. They did not give up their top prospects. The Cubs have basically taken on all of the Anthony Rizzo salary. Same with Gallo and Texas and the deal that they made. So are the Yankees going to add some bullpen help? Are the Yankees going to call the Minnesota Twins potentially and try to make a play for Jose Barrios? With the way they have executed these last couple of days, I don't get the sense they're done. But with Severino coming back and with Kluber possibly on the mend, I'm adding bullpen help.
to me, that's the bigger priority as opposed to going and getting a starting pitcher. But I'm now back. And I'm into these Yankee games. Not that I wasn't anyway, because you guys know the deal. I'm in Boston last week. Uh, I'm beaten down. I told you I was going to get suckered back in. So I, I at least put that on the record. But now that Gallo and Rizzo are Yankees, get me that second wild card. And even if it ends in anguish and heartbreak and I'm cursing them out in October, fine. Get me in the dance. Get me in the tournament. That's what I'm hoping for over these next two months. And the Yankees got to start getting fat starting Friday against the Miami Marlins. So you have all this activity going on with the Yankees. With the New York Mets, you have a whole lot of antsy, antsy Mets fans wondering when a move is going to be made. Now, I'm going to talk you off the ledge a little bit. The Mets are going to make a trade. In fact, I expect the Mets to make a big trade. I don't know if that's Barrios and Donaldson. I don't know if that's Bryant and Kimbrell. I don't know if they call the Colorado Rockies and talk Trevor Story. This owner taking over this team, making the Lindor move, giving Lindor the contract. Does Steve Cohen strike you as a guy that wants to be quiet, seeing the Yankees make moves left and right, and his team is doing diddly squat? I don't buy that for a minute. I just don't. So I fully expect when... We're rocking right after the trade deadline. We're going to do a Spotify green room, probably at around 4.15, 4.30. I fully expect that the Mets will have, you know, the sort of shiny new toy that you were looking for. They had a bad loss on Thursday afternoon. Walker continues to be a problem. His last three starts have not been good. Met lineup outside of Alonzo is not doing much. So the Mets, yeah, a starting pitcher would absolutely help. Doesn't have to be Barrios, but somebody who could give you some more innings. And I think the Mets could use a little influx in that lineup. They're going to be active. Especially when you see the Los Angeles Dodgers swoop in from the San Diego Padres and get Max Scherzer and get Trey Turner to complement a team that won the World Series. My goodness. That's the sort of statement that says, we ain't messing around. We ain't playing games. Oh, today was awesome. If you love activity, if you love following along on social media like I did. Even though the thumbs are exhausted, today was an awesome, awesome day. All these trade rumors, all this back and forth. My head is still spinning. Forced me to take a nap. We're probably going to have more craziness tomorrow. How fantastic. Great night for the Yankees. Who knew? And for the Mets, it's wait and see. Now, we had all that going on in Major League Baseball. It's also the night where we had to look forward to the NBA draft. And I got to say, watching this draft, and maybe it's because I'm a Knicks fan and I'm like conditioned with the narrative and the premise that the Knicks are always going to be in the lottery and that the early portion of the draft is always going to be the most exciting. Well, I didn't have that joy tonight. My buddy Saruti did. He got his guy. He gets Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. Slam dunk pick. Sarudi's probably ripping tequila shots right now as we speak to celebrate. And if he is, he gets a pass from me. He could be drunk doing this show and and I wouldn't even kill him. I'd say, great. I'm glad he's enjoying himself. But you had all that going on. That was the hands down number one storyline of this draft. Barnes going to Toronto. Suggs going to pick later to the Orlando Magic. But then I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting 
for the New York Knickerbockers to go and make a pick. And remember, they didn't have one first-round pick. They had two first-round picks. They trade out of both 19 and 21. They get a future first from Charlotte. Then they make the move with the Los Angeles Clippers. And the guy that everybody was talking about, that you kept hearing about as this draft went on, because listen, they weren't getting to water. He had way too much love. You talk to any of the draft experts, and we had Brazil on a few days ago. We had Billis on last week. They're like, yeah, unless you're trading up, you ain't getting him. So the Knicks, I think, clearly wanted him. Didn't go that route. The kid out of Tennessee, Keon Johnson, He's getting a lot of love. Now, I didn't see him a ton of Tennessee, so I- I'm not going to come on my high horse. I watch a lot of college basketball, but for me to come on my high horse and say, oh, you had to take him, you had to take him, you had to take him, uh, I- I'm going to let that narrative play out. I- I- I'm not attaching my opinion and my voice to that one. May turn out to be a star. May have more of an upside than who the Knicks ended up with, Quentin Grimes out of Houston. Here's what I know about Quentin Grimes, though. He fills a major need for this team. And when you're getting a guy at 21 or 25, that in many ways is what I'm looking for. Grimes, a guy who was a Kansas recruit. He transferred to Kelvin Sampson in Houston. He banks a ton of threes. He's got some length to him. And he plays quality defense. That Houston team guarded like crazy. I mean, I'm getting some flashbacks. I might be getting a little PTSD from the Sweet 16 beatdown they gave my beloved alma mater, the Syracuse Orangemen. Quinn Grimes could play. So when they made that pick, no issue, no problem. The Nets end up taking a guy who gets buckets at LSU and Cameron Thomas. Maybe a guy who can be an instant offense type of piece. That could be something that works wonders. So all in all, you see the Knicks trading down. You see Brooklyn trading back into the first round. Remember, Brooklyn ended up with two picks tonight. They ended up with two picks, and they end up with Sharp out of North Carolina, too. And you know this about North Carolina. They love bigs. And the Knicks ended up with McBride, guy I love out of West Virginia. Fabulous, fabulous second-round pick. Big fan of his. So very much wait and see with a lot of these picks. I needed a guard for the Knicks. That, to me, was my biggest need. Brooklyn, I mean, they're kind of just... Rolling the dice, best player available. Give me a rotation guy. Or maybe give me somebody I can trade in February to go get that missing piece. So I, I, Brooklyn and what they're going to do in the back half of the first round, it is what it is. The Knicks need more guys contributing and stepping up because their roster is not nearly as complete. So to me, if somebody like Grimes could step in and take the place of Reggie Bullock, that's a win. You didn't have the madness that we had out in Los Angeles, if you were a Nick fan tonight, if that's what you were hoping for, you probably got disappointed. No, there was no blockbuster deal involving Damian Lillard, but a couple of trade downs. And my advice to anybody out there, if the what this regime pulled off in their first year, don't you owe it to them to trust them a little bit? I know I feel that way. What I saw from Leon Rose, what I saw from Worldwide West, what I saw from Tom Thibodeau, I actually have a Nick regime, I feel, He's rather competent. So, filling a need is a thing of beauty to me. Loaded show. Wanted to get a little perspective on Joey Gallo from somebody who watches him very, very closely. My buddy, my old pal, CJ Nikowski, who does the Texas Ranger games on television. 
St. John's products. So he's got a little New York in his blood. Of course, CJ's one of my guys. Uh, we'll have Sharks on a little bit. One of the greats from the ringer. What an inspiration he is. We'll talk about some of these draft picks that went down today. So Rudy, I still think might be uh, pounding tequila bourbon. I don't know what his drink of choice may be. So I, I think he might be riding that high for the rest of the show. Voicemail is going to be off the rails as expected. We got a lot to do. New York, New York. CJ Nikowski, little Joey Gallo. Scouting report. That's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm going to be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores, see app for full terms, all rights reserved. So I figured with the Yankees making a big move for Joey Gallo, I had to like sound the alarm and bring in somebody who knows Joey Gallo pretty darn well. He does the Texas Rangers games, MLB Network Radio. I think he's one of the best baseball minds you're going to find. My buddy, my pal, the fellow Southpaw, CJ Nikowski. What's up, CJ? Not too much, JJ. Good to talk to you again, brother. Well, CJ, it's good having you on. Um, what was your initial reaction? Gallo traded to the Yankees. Considering the Yankees' dire need for a lefty bat, does this trade to you scream match made in heaven written all over it? Or would the reservations and concerns about Gallo striking out a ton maybe give you some pause? Yeah, it'll be interesting. No, I think that Yankee fans should be excited about it. I understand, of course, they're always going to worry about, you know, what is that worst case scenario potentially with him because there is a lot of swing and miss in his game because the contact rates are low. But just the idea of how the lineup stacks up, I know we've seen Rudin and Odor kind of pinched in the middle between a judge and Stanton. Now you take essentially your third tight end and put Joey Gallo in the middle of these, you know, huge guys. And all, all of them are, are so big. But I think the idea of the patience that you're going to see from him. And it is incredible. Uh, if you are a opposing pitcher, you got a really big decision and tough decision to make. You're going to have to go after somebody and Joey Gallo will take his walks. And so if that means Stanton gets more pitches to hit, uh, then that certainly works out in his favor. Uh, Aaron Boone will have some opportunities to, to juggle that lineup and find exactly which way it works. But Joey Gallo can hit in any of those spots. Uh, he has tremendous power and yes, he's going to strike out, but what, at least what we've seen in Texas this past year, especially is that he's just gotten much more patient. He's gotten incredibly patient as far as uh, not chasing, even if he wasn't getting the support behind him, he didn't care. He didn't start expanding the zone. You see sometimes good hitters get frustrated that they don't have the home runs or they're not getting the hits, and then they start to expand the strike zone. He hasn't done that this year. He has stuck to his guns, and even though there's swing and miss there, uh, he has remained incredibly patient, and uh, he's done the work, and he started to see the payoff last month. Well, CJ, you see the OPS, it's awesome. You see the walk numbers, they're terrific. Do you think the walk numbers, though, are a product of Joey Gallo being in a subpar lineup where opposing pitchers are basically saying there's no way in the world we're letting this guy beat us? Or do you believe that improved eye is the main reason for why the walk numbers have kind of gone up this year? Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both. And it's probably fair uh, to talk about some of the lineup and some of the struggles that have been there. But if you dig into those numbers, what you'll notice is that his chase rate is down considerably. 
a couple of years ago, and he had some low batting averages in 17 and 18, but he was hitting 40 home runs. Uh, that chase rate was up in the low 30s, 30% chase rate. That number is down to 24% this year. It was 23% last year. That's a significant jump when you're talking about chasing 10% less of those pitches that are outside the strike zone. So a lot of that is on him, and he's done the work. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, too, as well, is that I know for Yankee fans wondering, okay, well, we have the lefty. What happens when we face a really good lefty? Nobody has hit home, more home runs as a left-handed hitter against left-handed pitching over the last four seasons than Joey Gallo. Like, he's got tremendous power against lefties, and if you dig in to some of those splits, he's actually been better against left-handed pitching than he has right-handed pitching. So I think going back to the lineup kind of question and, and what fans are probably thinking about, the walk question, I think he'll be able to answer all of those and you're not going to have to worry about sitting him against tough lefties. Well, CJ, considering how right-handed the Yankee lineup is, I think it will be a sight for sore eyes for Yankee fans to actually see a lefty bat go and take advantage of that short porch. And I know the analytic argument is that you have righty bats that can take advantage, that can shoot the ball out to right center field. And I get it, over 162 games, they're probably going to be right about that. But when I see the Yankees against... Tampa and all those nasty righties they have. When I see him against Evaldi, a guy they can never solve, and just like premier right-handed pitching, that to me is where that argument kind of goes out the window because you're facing one of the better or one of the best to go and shut down righty lineups. You need a little balance there, and I think now having a legitimate lefty presence there Change the entire feel and look of the Yankee team. Yeah, and I would say this too, and also righties will go after him a little bit more, right? You do talk about the balance of the lineup and what it means, so I do think that means he should get some opportunities, I think, to hit against those righties. The OPS is about the same. When you look at the splits, it's actually a little bit better against lefties, 888 this year compared to 858 against the righties, but 858 is still really good. 16 of his 25 home runs have come against right-handed pitching. Um, so I think you bring up a good point that, yeah, the idea of the right-handed pitching and especially the good pitching um, that he will see uh, and maybe guys going after him a little bit more or looking at him as the guy, either that or he's going to take his walks and he'll be on base uh, with an opportunity for somebody to drive him in. The other thing, when you talk about the short porch that I think is worth mentioning with Joey Gallo, he doesn't hit wall scrapers, right? The ballpark that he plays in really doesn't matter. He has such tremendous power. He hits the ball as high as anybody in the game, which sometimes can be a detriment. But he's got one of these wild stats. If you look at his career now, he's got over 2,000 plate appearances in his career. He's got one sacrifice fly. Wow. The reason he has one sacrifice fly is because if he hits it deep in the air, it's getting out of the ballpark. He just doesn't hit pop-ups that go to the warning tracker just short. Now, I know Yankee fans have complained about situational hitting and some of what they've seen in that regard, and I get it. But if you're expecting Joey Gallo to hit you that sack fly, it's not going to happen. It's only happened to him once so far over the course of his career. If he gets it, it's going to go. Big fan of his versatility. We know he's a gold glover out in the outfield. Is there a significant drop-off, though, CJ, if you're going to put him at first base? Because, listen, the Yankees are going to play him, I think, primarily out in either left or center field. But if you put him at first base, are you getting close to a gold glove caliber first baseman or maybe a notch below that? Yeah, that conversation to me is really interesting as far as where the Yankees want to go with it. So he came up as a third baseman and he got to the point where he did not want to play third base anymore. Going back to 2017, that's the last time you saw him at third base. And they were playing him at third, they were playing him at first, and they were playing him in left at the time. They were moving him around uh, quite a bit. And he was just done with third base. As he gets bigger and stronger, it's kind of hard to keep him at a position like that that requires a body that can move around. When he was over at first, and the last time we saw him at first was 2018, he was really good over there, really good. 
And I was thinking to myself, man, this, this could be your first baseman of the future. But they had Ronald Guzman, who's a really good defender. Yankee fans may remember he had three home runs in a game in the Bronx. Uh, one of the few to ever do that as a visiting uh, player a couple of years ago. And because his defense was so good, they put Joey Gallo out in center where there was a need. And he was actually a pretty good center fielder. His natural habitat for me is right field. 100% is where he needs to be. Now, it sounds like they'll put him in left, probably, uh, in this Yankee lineup. And that does make sense. There's more ground to cover out there compared to right field at the stadium. And so that probably would be the place to go. I just don't know how open he is to taking ground balls at first base. I don't know where those conversations went. They're hard to have prior to a trade. You can sneakily have them or have other people or talk to your general managers about it and see how he feels about it but he hasn't been out there in three years. I don't think he's taken a ground ball in three years, but when he was regularly working on the infield, he was a very good first baseman, but that was a while ago. So I just don't know what his desire level is and how quickly he could get that back. CJ, speaking of another former Texas Ranger, I can't get enough for Ruggio Dorn. And I know he's a low <laughs> batting average guy, but he gives the Yankees fire and energy. And listen, he's solid. He's adequate defensively over at second base. A real nice under-the-radar pickup. Um, were you a fan of Ruggio Dor watching him with Texas, or did it kind of get to the point when you started doing the games there that Ruggie was kind of on his last legs? I mean, those 180-190 batting averages are brutal, but yeah. I, I look at him as like the perfect swing infield guy. Like, if you play Ruggio Dor three to four games a week, he's going to do a lot of things to help you win. Yeah, I think if you find the right matchup, that's the right the issue with him. I never had a problem with him at all. Uh, I really like the personality a ton. Uh, he gets after it every single day, no matter what was going on, no matter how bad that batting average was or the on-base. I mean, last year was just a brutal year for him in the 38 games that he played last year with an on-base of 209. I mean, it was, it was brutal. He was having a rough go of it, but he showed up every single day. He started seeing improvements in his defense a couple of years ago because he was out there every day in the Texas Heat doing his early work, trying to get better defensively. And so I've always really appreciated that about him and the way that he plays the game. Yes, he had his issues. He would have a hard time uh, being disciplined, not chasing pitches out of the strike zone. It could be a problem for him. There's a lot of swing and miss there. But the way that he carried himself every day was, was really professional. And he's the kind of teammate that you rally around when he's not going well just because of how hard he plays and because he is a good teammate. So I'm, I'm glad to see him have some success there. In New York, the Rangers had to move on. They had to get a look at some other guys. Uh, Nick Solak, who was originally drafted by the Yankees, was the guy that got that opportunity in Texas and had a better than 900 OPS in April. And they thought they found their guy. He has since uh, been sent down and working through some things. But it was the right move, I think, to let him go based on where the Rangers are right now in their rebuild. Um, but it's good to see him contributing. And I'm with you. A couple days a week, the right matchup. Uh, he can be a guy. He's pretty unselfish. And I love this, and I'm sure Yankee fans have picked up on it. No matter what the score, no matter what's going on, when he hits a home run and he knows he's got oh, it. Oh, he's pimping it, CJ. He he's getting his money's worth. And not only that, he's one of those guys I notice they're up five runs, they're down five runs. He's the first guy top step at a dugout who's yeah. greeting somebody. Yep, nothing changes him, which you can appreciate as a teammate because this game will absolutely wear you out, whether it's from a team standpoint or a personal standpoint, and you're struggling, and he never got selfish, at least from what we could see. And that's something I've always appreciated about him. CJ, final one. I look at the American League, and listen, the Yankees have their warts. They have their problems. It's been a very disappointing, underachieving year, considering the expectations. But the Red Sox, I can't believe they're doing what they're doing. The White Sox are playing, you know, without Eloy Jimenez for the first couple months of the year, and they're running away with the Central. The Astros lose George Springer. They're having this monster season. Do you here in late July have a clear-cut favorite in the American League? I mean, I... 
I, I hate going against the Red Sox when they have these sort of years going. Like, I think Tampa is better for what it's worth. I would pick Tampa to win the division. But I've seen it with the Red Sox so many times these years that come out of nowhere. Kind of get the sense it's deja vu all over again. Who right now, if you had to pick one, top dog in the AL? What I love about that is because it's in the DNA as a Yankee fan, right? The way that you look at the Red Sox, you don't want to doubt them necessarily. Because Isn't it crazy, CJ? It. I went from yeah. being the guy that was so dismissive for my entire life with the Red Sox. Then 2004 happens, and now yeah. you got to respect them like crazy. It's insane. Yeah. You don't have to, but you should. It probably yeah. makes sense to do it. But you're right. So I would say this. I actually I took a shot on the Red Sox and picked them to be a wild card team before the season started. And for me, a lot of that had to do with their offense. And quite honestly, I thought Chris Sale would have been back by now. But this is a really good question. I think we could answer it better in, you know, another, what are we, 24 hours away from the deadline, a little bit less than that right now. Uh, when the deadline passes and that gets done, and if the Red, the Red Sox need a first baseman, they need another pitcher. Now, they're going to probably get Chris Sale. So they could get, you know, Chris Sale from within, let's say Anthony Rizzo or even Aguiar, uh, one of these guys to come in and play first base and then add another starter. And it doesn't have to be the big one. It could be John Gray. You know, it could be a guy like that just to slide into the middle of your rotation. Then for me, they probably are the team. The good news is, is that there are a lot of good teams right now. I know there's some some, some lack of parity, I guess, in that league looking at a team like the Rangers and others that aren't going to the postseason and the Orioles. But the top teams are really good. And the Red Sox, the Rays, the White Sox, and the Astros. And we'll see what happens if the A's can make a run. The Astros are getting it together right now. They've gotten the bullpen help that they've needed at the deadline. The lineup's absurd. They're really good again. The young pitching in the rotation is really good. It's hard to pick a top dog, but if, let's just say those four. I know Yankee fans are hoping their club will be a wild card team. Now we'll see if the Blue Jays have a big move in them. But I look at the Red Sox, the Rays, the White Sox, and the Astros as probably the best four. This is going to be an easier question to answer after the deadline. But leading into it right now, I'm, I'm probably stuck between the Red Sox and the Astros. And uh, and who ends up in the World Series? I'll go ahead and take the Boston Red Sox right now. I think they have the move in them that they're going to need over these next 24 hours. And what a difference a manager can make. You know, I hear all the time, CJ, a manager doesn't matter in 2021. And then I look at the Red Sox and I see what Alex Cora is doing. Uh, you're a guy who's played for some great managers. You still have that mindset of that belief that a manager here in this day and age still means a ton? He does. And if anything, he can take away probably more than he can add, quite honestly. Right? If you go in the wrong direction, that's what kind of disrupts a clubhouse. Guys start pointing fingers. You, you hear about clubhouse culture. And so creating that culture, uh, I think, and obviously Alex Gordon had already been there and already won with him. And so for the players that are left over from that era and that time with him, they're probably pretty excited to have him back. He's ultra competitive, which you like as a manager. He's going to have your back no matter what what you love out of your manager. I think those are the things that get guys going. And then looking for those little edges and having been around. First of all, I think as, as you look at the back of the career of a scrappy guy that had to do everything he can to continue to, you know, find time to play in the big leagues and have a long career and do it as a guy that, you know, was doing it in a bunch of different roles with a bunch of different teams. You get that, that kind of scrappiness to you anyway that you have to have to be able to have that kind of playing career. Now you take it into a manager. And I think that, that kind of manager with that kind of playing career also understands your middle of the road players and, your, and the back end of your roster, right? It's one thing. That's why it's so hard for stars. Stars can't relate to the guys that are even average or struggling. They don't get it because, you know, like, hey, just do this. It's easy to do. Well, it was easy for you, but it's not easy for the rest of the roster. So I think that's another kind of additive there for Alex Cora and why he becomes a guy um, that does so well, that is so well-respected in that clubhouse. And he's got fire to him. And, uh, and they're in a really good spot. And I think he's a changed man after what happened. And it's always time to forgive and move on. And I think he has certainly earned that the way that he's handled himself, even though he probably was frustrated with some of it. And uh, nobody cares what you do if you win. And right now for Red Sox fans, they're excited to be winning.
CJ, thanks so much for doing this, pal. Don't be a stranger. Uh, are you coming to New York in September? We know yet. Is that still? I don't think TV so. I think, I think we will TV. see that next year. Hopefully, next yeah, year. Think- hopefully, the uh, the the recommendations of restaurants that CJ has on his list when he comes to New <laughs> York will be waiting for him. Okay. It would be nice, man. It would be nice to get there. So I think we tra- TV's not traveling the rest of the year, but hopefully we'll be back next year. All right, CJ. Good stuff, man. Thanks for a couple minutes. All right. You got it, JJ. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. So I I figured it's draft night. We got to get more perspective. I've been wanting to have this guy on the show for a long time. Not only does he do a fabulous job, but... His story to me is beyond inspirational. And I mean, he's as tough as they come. I feel like I, I need some of that toughness that Jonathan Sharks is going through day in and day out. Bro, I love you, buddy. How you doing, man? Thanks for joining the show. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Let me get some New York toughness. It'll be leaving it out then. You know? I mean, listen, I could I could use a little New York toughness myself. <laughs> just saying. I think that's that's the last three and a half, four months of watching the Yankees this season. But Jonathan, let's start here. Draft day. Looking at this class, a lot of big names. Are you buying the hype that this could be one of those transcendent type drafts? So we're going to be looking at a lot of like all-star caliber players in this draft. Or do you get that the narrative has kind of been a little overvalued, a little overrated? Uh, where do you stand on the 2021 draft class? No, I, I think this draft has been pretty fairly hyped. And I think... Really, because like four of the top five picks you're thinking are going to be all-star level players. And that's just really rare. I think the top of this draft is super strong. I love Evan Mobley from USC. Kate Cunningham's great too. So I think you have two guys with the, the Mobley to the Cavs, Kate to the Pistons. Those are franchise level talents. Those teams now have like a foundational piece to build around. And then Suggs and Green... Those are like all-star kind of guards, that potential. And that's just rare to have in the same draft. So I think it's pretty fairly fairly hyped. And I got to admit this. It's weird for me as a Knicks fan to go through draft day and not have a lottery pick. Like, I, I didn't know how to deal. I didn't know how to handle myself. Like, as you're like going through the draft and, you know, you're wondering about the big names on the board. I'm like, all right, the Knicks are not picking until the 20s here. It feels like the bizarro world where the Knicks actually seem like a functional, competent, Decently well-run organization. What a world, Jonathan. I mean, I'm still shocked they're picking the 20s. What a great year they had. I can't say I saw it coming. Oh, me neither. Now, what can you tell me about Quentin Grimes? Because I watched him destroy Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. Strikes me as the classic 3 and D type guy. Do you get the sense the Knicks dropped the ball here by passing up the opportunity to get Keon Johnson? I know a lot of people were high on him. A whole lot of upside. Grimes seems like a safe pick. I had no issue with it. Where did you stand on that? Yeah, I think, so Keon Johnson's interesting because he's one of the best athletes in the draft, but he's just really, really far away from contributing to a good team because he really can't shoot and he's not really a playmaker. So what's his role in the NBA? He's just kind of an athlete right now. He's a guy you're going to have to develop for two, three years and hope he kind of rounds out into a shooter. And with Tibbs in charge there, them being a playoff team, like, I don't think Keon would ever have played for them. So in that sense, it was a good trade. And that, like, there's a chance Keon Johnson becomes a good player. But the odds of that happening with the Knicks were pretty low. 
So in that sense, I get why you go for the more polished player in Grimes. And Grimes is a pretty fascinating um, player because of his history. He was actually like a top five recruit coming out of high school. He was supposed to be a one-and-done lottery pick. He goes to Kansas, completely flames out, and he has to transfer back home to Houston and pretty much change his game too. He went from being like a ball-dominant guard to a three and D type. So he's really kind of had a very long career before he even got to the pros. And I think... I don't think there's really much to him in terms of like hidden value. He kind of is who he is. He's a really big guard. He's got a good jump shot, not very dynamic off the bounce, not a playmaker, not really a guy who's going to score a bunch of points on his own, but he can spot up, make threes. He'll compete on the glass. He'll hit shots. He'll defend. So that's the kind of player tips with one, I'd imagine. So basically what you're telling me is he can replace Reggie Bullock. That's the way I see him. Well, Bullock's bigger than him. I mean, like, Bullock's a good player. I wouldn't lose him if I was the Knicks. Like, that's the one thing, like, Grimes is 3 and D, but he's only, like, 6'4", 6'5". He's not a 6'7 wing like that who can guard threes. I would say he's more of a two guard. More of a two, but a guy could shoot the ball and a guy who's going to play some D. That's what Tom Thibodeau is looking for. And that's what I like about McBride coming out of West Virginia. You know if you're playing for Bobby Huggins, you're going to have to bring it on defense. And there are just certain attributes that you need to have if you're going to play for Tom Thibodeau I don't know if Miles McBride is necessarily going to be a terrific NBA player. I mean, he's a second-round pick, for goodness sakes. But I read scrappy guard, guy's going to get after it. Like That's the sort of player I'm kind of looking to add at that stage in the draft. Yeah, I was a little surprised McBride declared for the draft this year because he really came on strong as a sophomore. I figured he'd come back to school, try to have a big junior year and get in the first round. But he went for it now. I mean, he's very talented. I think he's a guy with a lot... He's probably like, he's a better basketball player than Quentin Grimes, but the role isn't as effective, if that makes sense. Like, he'll have to kind of earn a spot as a backup point guard first. Good defender. Got a lot of, he's got a lot of, he's a fun player to watch. I think he's got a chance to make it in the league for sure as a second round pick. Brooklyn obviously is in a position where it's title or bust next year. So they have a couple of late first round picks. Cam Thomas at LSU. Volume shooter, guy who gets buckets. That's basically what he did throughout his college career. You see him more as somebody who can give the Nets instant offense off the bench when, you know, a couple of those guys from the big three are not playing? Or do you kind of see him as more of a trade chip come the middle of February when Brooklyn maybe is looking for like that last piece potentially to put them over the top? Where do you envision Thomas for Brooklyn? I mean, Thomas is hilarious. So this is a guy who averaged 17 field goal attempts and one assist in college. I mean, think about that. <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah, that's like, pretty outrageous. <laughs> that, that, that sums up basketball in 2021 in, in many ways, Jonathan, in some degree, you know? I just remember watching him. Like, this guy, is. it was just hilarious because he would just never pass the ball, like, ever. It was almost like, it was just funny to watch him play basketball. But he can really get buckets. Like, he's like a pure microwave scorer. I think he'll stick in the league. His shot's good. He's got a big frame. Like, he's just, he's here to do one thing and one thing only all the time, and that's get up shots. And I imagine for Brooklyn, there's a role for that on the bench when some of your stars are out. But what's fascinating to me is they traded Landry Shamit. I guess they didn't want to pay him. Like, that's interesting for a team, like a title cleaning team, to just trade a guy like that who's a veteran who they traded for last year for a first-round pick and then just let him go because they didn't want to pay him. 
I'm still trying to wrap my head around a couple of things that happened in sports today. But one of them is the Russell Westbrook to the Lakers trade. I can't stand it. I think it's a terrible move for the Lakers. I get it. Westbrook is going to you know, be a volume guy throughout the regular season. But to me, the Lakers were all about shooting and defense when they won a title a couple of years ago. Sharks, what are they doing with a guy who's ball dominant, who can't shoot the outside shot, and at times is going to make questionable decisions down a stretch of some of these big playoff games. Uh, are you on board with this move for the Lakers? I can't stand it. I Call me crazy. I'd rather have Buddy Heald on my team than Russell Westbrook if I'm them. I was shocked. Like, I couldn't believe it. I had to, like, ask people, like, this really just happened? Like, I couldn't believe it when it happened. I still can't really believe it. I would just love to hear what LeBron thinks, like, unfiltered like give me like a two-minute unfiltered answer well you know he signed off on this deal i mean there's no way this deal goes down without his blessing and approval obviously that's what i want to know what his thought process was like because lebron's a crazy smart player he usually makes great moves so like normally it doesn't make sense logically on paper whatsoever right doesn't make any sense but you have to think lebron has a plan i mean right like lebron's not going to blow the end of his career but i don't i don't get it either because like Westbrook can't shoot and LeBron holds the ball in the playoffs. So how does those two things... Is he trying to maybe evolve him into like a spot-up shooter? I mean, I can't imagine, Jonathan, that we're living in a world where Russell Westbrook does not have the ball in his hands and is knocking down three-point shots like he's, you know, Mike Miller or like he's Ray Allen, you know? Maybe Maybe LeBron's thinking he can be like Dwayne Wade and just be a slasher, but they have no shooting and AD's already in the paint. So I just, I just don't see how it's... I don't see how it makes any sense at all, but I also have watched LeBron do stuff like this before and make it work. Like, if there's one guy who can make stars fit together, it's LeBron. It's going to be fascinating to watch. That's for sure. Who's your favorite player in this draft? Um, Evan Mobley. I think Evan Mobley. Everybody loves Evan Mobley. It's amazing. Everybody I talked to, I had Bill Asani was raving about him. I had Zach Brazilla on from the post. He's raving about him. You guys are all on the Mobley bandwagon. What is it about Mobley? Just just the finish, the athleticism. Why do you like him so much? I think for me, it's just you very, very rarely see a guy seven foot with his ball skills, his intelligence, his athleticism. Like I remember the first time I watched him play was against UConn. After like five minutes, I was like, this guy's a superstar. Like it's done. This guy's just incredible. He's the guy. To me, he's the best player in this draft. The guy I think is the real sleeper. And I don't blame New York for trading this pick, knowing Tibbs. But I'm telling you, Kai Jones, the guy I went to Charlotte, I went to Texas. Kai Jones is going to be awesome. That guy playing with LaMelo Ball in that system, he's six foot 11, and he has legit perimeter ball skills and athletic ability. This is a guy who's going to be a star. I think that this was the move in five years we'll be talking about is Kai Jones. And you think our guy Saruti is going to be thrilled with Jalen Suggs. I loved him in college, Sharks. I loved him. I loved him. He had an it factor about him. He, he's he got a beautiful game. Uh, Saruti was, I think, uh, in denial, maybe because of all these forwards that the Magic have taken over the years. Yeah. Were you surprised Toronto ended up jumping and going with Barnes over Suggs? I was definitely surprised by that. And it, yeah, it seems so fitting they would draft Scotty Barnes or Kaminga, another guy who can't shoot in Orlando. So for them to get an actual lead guard, I think they had a great night getting him at five and Franz Wagner at eight. Those are two great picks. Final one. You spent a lot of time around the Dallas Mavericks. And you know this audience 
remembers a guy by the name oh, of Christos Porzingis. You know, you know, I had to go there, Shucks. You know, I had to go there. So I, I have to admit this. I, I probably shouldn't now, but it's okay. I'll own it. When the Knicks made that trade a few years ago, I melted down on the radio because I didn't think they were signing any of the big free agents. I was right about that. And I thought they sold Kristaps, you know, 50 to 55 cents on the dollar. And I knew the injuries were a thing and they were a concern. But watching Porzingis in Dallas, there's not going to be a happy ending with he, Luka Doncic, and the organization, right? Like, I just can't envision that, you know, three years from now, four years from now, Kristaps Porzingis is doing big things in Dallas. Is that fair to say? Doesn't seem like it. I, I know a lot of Knicks fans and they they were crowing this year for good reason. It looks terrible right now. I mean, the guy's hurt all the time. He can't stay healthy. It's just kind of is what it is. It pretty much crushed the whole Mavs franchise. <laughs> I just hope he can stay healthy. That's the first thing, right? He got hurt last year again. He came back this year. He couldn't move anymore. It just, you hope he can stay healthy, man. At least start there. Well, and I thought, too, having Porzingis with Luka Doncic, that's your one-two punch, right? Like, that's the, that's how you get to the top of the mountain. So when you don't have that second guy on the court, it kills you. And Luka is incredible, by the way. I mean, listen, I don't need to tell you that. You know that full well. When Was it immediately for you watching him, like, his first game in Dallas? Did it take, like, a month where, like, you're saying to yourself, this is a special player? Like, when does that, like, hit home for you watching a guy like that? I mean, do it like doing so much draft coverage. We all knew. I mean, oh, so in the draft, so like when they drafted him and made the trade with Atlanta, you were like, all right, this is superstar. You know, yeah. I mean, we were doing like a ringer video, and me and the other Mavs fan on staff were like celebrating. We're like, oh, that's it. We did it. Like it was, it was one of those things where it kind of got overthought at the time. Like where he fell a little bit. People were nitpicking his game, but it was like this guy's eighteen. He's the best player in Europe. He won Eurobasket. He won Euroleague. I mean, come on. It was it was obvious. It was never really never really in doubt. You know what it is with some of these European picks that I've seen with the Knicks over the years, and I'm mentioning one specifically, Frederick Weiss. I could watch anything and it would be like, I could never get over it. So maybe at some point in my life, Sharks, I will get a Luka Doncic to come in my life and I'll watch like a Euroleague video and I'll be like, all right, I have the second coming. Maybe, maybe I'll have that one day. Guys like that don't come on very often, that's for sure. You ain't kidding. Hey, listen, you're a fighter. Thanks so much for doing this, my friend. You're an inspiration to a whole lot of people and keep kicking ass, okay? And thanks for having me on. It was fun. There you have it. Good stuff there from Sharks. Voicemails, a lot more draft reaction. It's coming up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tonight's one of those nights where there's just a whole lot to wrap my head around. Uh, Everything that's going on in sports. I mean, to have the trade deadline in baseball and the NBA draft on the same damn night, it's madness. It's fabulous, but it's madness. Voicemail should be interesting. I expect that a lot of Yankee fans who were out are going to be back. And I saw Jacko tweeted out the picture of Al Pacino from Godfather 3. It's rather appropriate. Just when you thought I was out, they pulled me back in. 
I think a lot of people are going to be brought back in. 917-382-1151. That is our voicemail line. And remember, Spotify Green Room, Friday, late afternoon, as soon as the trade deadline is over. So I think the deadline's at 4. We'll go on at like 4.30 or so. And we'll have a little fun there. So voicemails should be interesting. They always are. Giddy Saruti, fire him up, please. Jade, John from Long Island. What a 24 hours it's been in Yankee land. We got Gallo. And now Anthony Rizzo. The, the, the thing that I'm thinking about is that all year we've been complaining about Cashman's complacency. It felt like he didn't have the same sense of urgency that we as fans had and that he didn't have the same problems with the team that we had watching it. Well, turns out he did. Turns out he saw the same fucking issues we saw. And you know what? Now we have a good left fielder. Now we have a great left fielder who's also a great lefty bat. Now we have another great lefty bat in the lineup of Anthony Rizzo. Maybe there's going to be another deal tonight by the time this airs. Jage, I am so hyped for the rest of the season. We are going for it. What a day in Yankee land. Wait, was there a game today? I blacked out from like 1 to 4.30. Man, who cares? Woo! I'm going to ignore the 14-0 score against the Tampa Bay Rays today as well because I'm not going to let it dampen the mood on my giddiness because of everything our buddy just said right there. I have been so angry over the fact that the Yankees have had this arrogant nature about them and failing to realize the issues that are serious, that are real surrounding this baseball team. And I used to get really agitated. Used to. I still get really agitated when I hear, oh, righty, lefty, doesn't matter as much. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. With this lineup against the righty pitching of the Rays and guys like Evaldi, it has absolutely mattered. Now I want to see how Boston and Tampa, even though they're well past the Yankees at this point, how are they going to navigate going through that lineup when you got to go DJ, Judge, Rizzo, Stanton, who if he ain't hitting, you might as well drop him in the order because now you got some options. Gallo, like you, you can mix and match a lot more. You're a lot tougher to pitch to. So long overdue. And look, the division may be done. The first wild card in trying to catch Tampa, it's asking a lot. That second wild card is there for the taking. Now it's time to go on a run over the next two to three weeks. The schedule is soft. You got a lot of games at home. You got a bunch of games coming up with the Baltimore Orioles. Now is the time to get hot. Now or never. I'll tell you what else this move, these moves, I should say, have done. This is Brian Cashman basically giving Aaron Boone one last chance, pal. Hey, I just got you Joey Gallo. I just got you Anthony Rizzo. Go get us to the playoffs and go win in the playoffs. Can't be any beating around that bush. And that's what I've said all along. For this manager, World Series a bust. Who's next? JJ, it's Joe Kay from uh, Brooklyn here. One of your golf buddies. Uh, anyway, I'm just weighing in on this Gallo thing. Figured I'd... Uh make my first voicemail uh, happen today. Uh, I don't know what this team is thinking. They're in denial. They're in absolute denial. This team should not be buying at the deadline. They should be selling. This is just another classic catchman fuck up here. And, um, you know, this is going to bite them in the ass. Because they really think Joey Gallo is going to put them over the top. Like, he's the missing piece of why they blew all these games uh, in heartbreaking fashion for the last three months. Like, because they don't have Joey Gallo. Like, give me a fucking break, dude. This is... 
going to be a disaster. They should have they should have seen the writing on the wall and sold. Um, but yeah, I don't have to say. Anyway, bud, I'll see you in the links. Be good. That's the great Joe K. Now I beg to differ with Joe from this standpoint. What were the Yankees selling? Number one. Number two. This team, as far as they may be, was built to win this year. They were not going to go pivot and go all Washington Nationals on us. Now, I wonder if Joe left his voicemail at around 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock this evening, if he would have felt a little differently about the Anthony Rizzo move. Rizzo's a guy who puts the ball in play. He's a lefty bat. He's a good glove. And yet, these have been issues, Joe, for the Yankees this year. Yes, their bullpen has cost them a lot of games. Guys that you would expect to get the job done have not. Chapman, Green, etc. They did not make short-sighted moves that destroyed their minor league system. You can't keep everybody on a 40-man roster. You have that numbers crunch. They did not move any of their top prospects. Look at the list. In both of the deals that went down today, maybe somebody turns out to be a really good player. But their big guys are still with the team and still in the system. I, I cannot fault the Yankees for what they decided to do here. Not whatsoever. Who's up next? JJ, I was pretty happy about the uh, Joey Gallo move. I'm absolutely fired up about the Anthony Rizzo move for the Yankees. Number one, the Red Sox didn't get him, which I was nervous about. And now we have a legit lefty first baseman. Hopefully this means the end of Voight for us. And more importantly, this better be the end of Brett Gardner. I don't want to hear the excuse. Oh, we need him in the lineup. He's a lefty. Well, now you have two legit lefty bats. Mark Gardner should be nowhere near the Yankees lineup again. The other night, the eighth inning, I believe, a guy on first base, Brett Gardner can't even lay down a bunt. Another pathetic at-bat by that guy. Great moves by Cashman so far. I don't think the Yankees are done yet because Cashman smartly was able to get these teams to pick up these contracts. Interesting to see if the Yankees go with a pitcher, a starter, or a reliever now. Who knows? There's still a day left of this. But no more Brett Gardner now. you got two legit lefty hitters, a little more, more balance in the lineup now. Now let's make a run. Let's go. All right, JJ, later. You know, I feel bad for Brett Gardner. He's been a great Yankee. He's had a terrific run. He is totally cooked. You know it's bad for Gardner when you see the numbers up on the scoreboard day in and day out. Then I got to watch him boot a ball Thursday afternoon against the Rays. With Gallo now in the fold, Greg Allen should be getting more burn in center field. He's had better at-bats. He's a speedier player. He's got more life to him. I want to see more of Greg Allen. I want to see less of Brett Gardner. Now, the Yankees are not going to banish Gardner to retirement in the middle of the year like they did with Alex Rodriguez. I do not see them doing that. I think there's too much love and respect for Gardner throughout that Yankee clubhouse. But make no mistake, this should be his final year in Yankee pinstripes. He's cooked. He's not a big league player anymore. He was a good one, but he's not a big league player anymore. And I'm getting a sense, and I'm curious if this will continue to be the case. I feel this way. I think the Yankee fan is more fired up about the Anthony Rizzo move than they are the Joey Gallo move. And I'm going to tell you why. I think it's two reasons. One, I think Rizzo is just identifiable as a winning player. We all watched the 2016 World Series. We saw what Rizzo meant to the Chicago Cubs and what he's meant to that franchise over the last couple of years. He's got big hits. He's a leader. 
He's a good glove, but not only that, we'll get a strikeout numbers. Now, Rizzo is not having a great year for the Cubs. It's been pretty solid in the month of July. He puts the bat on the ball. And for a Yankee team that just added a high strikeout guy with a whole lot more guys who love to strike out, having somebody who's going to be a tough out, it's going to put the ball in play, beyond refreshing. Who's next? What's up, JJ? It's Lucas from Stanford. Obviously, a uh, somewhat exciting last 24 hours, except we'll have an on the field for the Yankees with Rizzo and uh, and Joey Gallo. But I can't get this thought out of my mind that this team, as presently constituted after these two moves, has to be the single slowest lineup from top to bottom in the history of Major League Baseball. You have Gary Sanchez, who's basically a turtle at catcher. They're going to Rizzo at first. He can't run. DJ LeMayu, whenever he hits a ground ball in the infield, it's a double play. Glaber Torres never beats a double play. Gio Urshela never beats a double play. And then you have Gallo and Judge, who are judges like moderately fast. Gallo can't run. Your only like speedster on the team is in center field, whether at Brett Gardner or Florial. And then you have the worst baseball player of all time in the Carl Stanton. I mean, this team is becoming more and more home run or bust. And that, to me, is an extremely, extremely scary thought when you know, for that little run there, I know obviously things were about to come back to earth. Getting fashioning runs, fucking guys, stealing bases, hitting and running, doing all those things that you need to do to manufacture runs. And now it's, I mean, this to me screams just disaster all over it. I mean, they should be better because they got the lefties. And I know Cashman's obsessed with his lefties in Yankee Stadium after not starting a year with it. But man, this team, every single guy, it's literally like a, a whole roster of the same dudes. What am I missing here? What? I feel like I shouldn't be as excited as, as like the, the public is making me feel. What do you think? Well, think about it. You had Luke Voigt playing for the New York Yankees. Now, if you didn't make this move for Rizzo, you'd be in a position where, okay, Odor is getting more playing time. And I like Ruggi Odor. He's probably best suited playing two or three days a week. Gallo, he's athletic, but he's a power guy. Yes, the Yankees have way too much all or nothing in their lineup, but that's what they are. Like, that was not going to change here at this trade deadline. Yankees weren't getting their hands on Trey Turner. Well, was Starling Marte going to be that guy for you? This is the team. This is what they are. You kind of have to accept it. Rizzo, though, from a strikeout standpoint, you're not getting a guy who strikes out a ton. That, to me, is a big positive. Gallo, I hope that he's going to rake. That's what I'm praying for. That he's going to take advantage of that short porch. That he's going to hit a ton of bombs. And he's going to play good defense. Yankees need an influx of talent. They are a much different looking team. So I understand that concern. A lot of all or nothing potential within the Yankee lineup. Gallo adding to that, it's a legitimate fear. Rizzo, though, should not be put in that category. I mean, the Yankees were not going to play the remainder of this year with who? Uh, who, who did you think was going to be on this team? Guys that are going to be bunting all the time? Yeah, sometimes you got to force the issue. I, I agree with that. But you know what? Even if you got guys who are home run type players, make them run a little bit when need be. Don't sit around and wait for the home run if you're not hitting them. Let what you're doing on the field kind of tell the story. Okay, who's up next? Hey, JJ, Andy from uh, Michigan. Uh, talk about a pick me up after the 14 zero disaster. And, 
to get Rizzo and Gallo back to back days is just absolutely incredible. I do have to give credit to Cashman for addressing our lefty uh, bats and the fact that we need lefty power. And, uh, you know, Rizzo's a good first baseman as well. I'm absolutely shocked and stunned. Um, I can't believe it. But I also heard that the Cubs are picking up the money and, uh, and we only gave up a couple prospects. So, JJ, do you think we have another bullet left in the gun? What do you think? I do. Now, I think a lot of people are going to be speculating about Jose Barrios. But because I think the asking price is super high, I think it's more likely with the Yankees getting Severino back very soon, with Kluber on the men, the Yankees try to address their bullpen. Remember, they traded away Sessa and Wilson, financially speaking, to give them a little bit more wiggle room to go and make these trades. Do they go and add another reliever to put Luizaga and Green and Britton and Chapman? I would. I don't know who that guy is because a lot of teams have made moves for relievers, the, the household names, if you will. But I would be addressing that bullpen market. That's where I'd be looking to go. But you also have to wonder, Yankees got some guys coming back. Are they going to have bullpen roles? Give an example. Clark Schmidt. Clark Schmidt comes back. You put him in the bullpen over the final month and a half of the year? Something I think about. Especially considering that there's a certain like innings plateau he probably can reach anyway. I'm all about that. And I bet you Tyon gets moved to the bullpen too. He's pitching really well, but the guy didn't pitched over the last two years. They're not going to let him go, I would say, from start to finish this year. I'd be surprised if that's the case. Two to go. What do we got? Expert J. Alex in Newark. Let me tell you, the buzz in the Berg is all about that you might make an appearance at either the dinosaur or one of the luxury golf courses that graces Newark, New Jersey. How are you, my friend? Two quick things. Number one, NBA draft. I could care less. Don't know. Don't know anything about it. Sixers, hopefully they get another steal late. Simmons, that warrior trade to me was garbage. If it's true, thank the Lord. They have to move them. Do you propose getting draft picks or do you propose getting one of these players, Willard or something like that? Or do you think he's worthy of getting both? Or do you not sell because you can't sell short? Can't sell low, number one. Number two, feel bad for the Padres. I was all giddy. They're my team now. They were going to get Max, et cetera, et cetera. And then in swoops the Dodgers. Here's my question. How did the Dodgers become us? When we were cooking in the 90s, this was us. We got the cones. We got the wells. We got the Clemens. We got the strawberries. We got the boxes. We got the Cecil Fielders. We got the big-time players that made an impact, that were huge in our run. How did they become us? And how now are we this rental, bargain, basement, shop around? If the other team pays a contract, we'll take it. I'm telling you, at some point, you have to look at the philosophy. You have to burn it down, whatever you have to do, because the Dodgers are what the New York Yankees should be. Spend, add, fame, go win. Thank you, expert Jay. God bless. Here's the problem with that, though, Alex in Newark. Max Scherzer didn't want to come to the Yankees. He made it crystal clear to his buddy, Mike Rizzo, who's the GM of the Nationals. They're super tight. 
Scherzer is probably going to have a Washington Nationals hat when he gets elected in the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. He basically said, trade me to the West Coast. So I cannot make the narrative about Scherzer going to the Dodgers. This I did at the Dodgers, the leaps and bounds better than the Yankees. Now, are they more well-run? Absolutely. Are they spending more money? 100%. That, to me, is what it boils down to. But with Scherzer, hey, he said, I want California sunshine. I want Padres, Dodgers, Giants. I want to go to one of those three teams. Buddies with the GM, and you have 10-5 rights. You're going to get what you want. Scherzer got exactly what he wanted. Little did I know, you'd go from today being about the Padres getting Scherzer, boom, the Dodgers swoop in, and not only did they get Scherzer, they get Trey Turner. Nationals have completely gutted it. Completely. And the Dodgers now have to be major frontrunners to not only get back to the World Series, but to go and win it. The crazy thing is, they could end up in a one-game playoff. Think about that for a minute. If the season were to end today, the Dodgers would be playing the Padres in a one-game playoff. And I can't wait to see what the Padres are going to do to try and counter this because I guarantee you they thought they were getting Max Scherzer. As far as Simmons, look, you want ready-made players. You don't want draft picks if you're Philly. That's, that's been there, done that. The problem is you're selling Simmons like 40 cents on the dollar. After that nightmarish postseason, Tell me a team like Portland is going to want Ben Simmons. I wouldn't. If I'm Portland, I want young pieces. I want I want those draft picks. Or I want somebody who could maybe be a budding star. I, I'm over that point with Ben Simmons. Now, maybe you go build a team around him. He's going to be better. He's got to escape Philadelphia, though. To me, there is no point of no return. So point of no return in certain cities with certain players. You're telling me Simmons is going to come back to Philly and have the happily ever after type of ending. Call him bullshit on that one. Last but not least, let's hear it. What's up, JJ? This is Pat from Poughkeepsie. Uh, I love everything you guys are doing with the podcast. Um, this call is actually for my guy Sarudi, though, because he's got to be doing backflips tonight with what the Magic did in the draft. Um, they were sitting there at five, and as you guys discussed recently, the Magic, the past five years or so, always seem to be one pick outside of the top consensus, top, top guys in each draft. And that's where they were this time. There was a top four in my eyes and then a little bit of a drop-off. And it was looking like the only guy that was going to there for them was Kaminga, who looks like a good prospect, but it would have been the same prospect the Magic always takes, this long defender with no jump shot. They did that with Aaron Gordon, with Mo Bamba, with Jonathan Isaac, and all those picks in the vacuum weren't bad, but they were all the same type of players that didn't fit on the same type of basketball team because none of them can shoot. They were all these upside, long defenders. So, you know what? The fact that Jalen Suggs fell to the magic, it really blew my mind that the Raptors passed on him. Um, you know, Masai Ujiri is one of the best GMs, so maybe he knows what he's doing, but that was a terrible pick to me to take Scotty Barnes there. So, Sarudi, you got to be so happy. You got Jalen Suggs, and even uh, Wagner from Michigan. Um, I'm really high on him, and he's another guy that can shoot. He's actually a good defender, and he's still 19 years old. So I think you guys hit a home run. I'm a Knicks fan, and uh, so, you know, I know about all the struggles about being a Magic fan. So, you know, I wanted to give a call for Sarudi. So good job tonight, bud, and uh, keep, it, keep it up. Keep doing the good work on the podcast, guys. Later.
Well, appreciate the kind words, number one. Number two, what a night for our buddy Steve Cerruti. Okay, Cerruti, you can admit, are you like 10 drinks deep in celebratory mode? Because you got your guy, bro. Congrats, you got your guy. Dude, it's funny because I'm actually in Philly right now for a wedding. And so I saw uh, the pick as we were out to dinner. So I was trying to like keep wow, my composure. Wow, so you were not even now. Friends. All right, when you, when you tell me you saw the pick being out to dinner on Twitter, via text, or watching? Uh, I saw Sham. I saw Sham tweet it, and I and I just like I I think I gasped when everybody at the table was like, "What the heck just happened?" They thought like something crazy happened, and, and some of them are sports fans, but not all of them. And I was like, "The Magic just got the guy that I wanted." I'm sitting there, I'm immediately on my phone looking through every tweet for the next five minutes, not paying attention to anybody at the table. But listen, that's what happens. This is sports, man. This is what this is what we get excited about. And dude, I can tell you from experience. When the team picks the player that you want, and I was oh, in this exact same boat a year ago when the Dolphins ended up taking Tua, mm-hmm. you are linked with that guy forever. So, Saruti, if Scotty Barnes or somebody else ends up becoming a stud after Jalen Suggs, you got to just accept it, bro. Because you know what? There are plenty of times we're going to kill our teams for making a decision that drives us to drink. When they make the decision that we want that we are rooting for, and it doesn't work out, you kind of have to own it. But let's hope that you and I are not having that conversation, me about Tua and you about your guy's subs. <laughs> no, I think, I, listen, I think Tua will be okay. I think you're okay there. Uh, just need some time. He's got some more weapons. He'll be all right. But for Suggs, I mean, when the Magic, well, they, they were, I think they had the best odds in, uh, odds in the lottery, right? They had, the, they had the best chance to get the first overall pick with two other teams, and they ended up falling to five. It's a four-player draft. I'm sitting there going, this is just the classic Magic luck, right? They, 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 it's a four-player draft. They get the fifth pick. But then there was more chatter about Toronto being interested in Scotty Barnes. And listen, I, I said on the pod, I didn't think Scotty Barnes was... Uh, I didn't want him on the Magic. Not because I don't think he's a great... could be a great, a great player, but mostly because I just don't believe in their ability to develop him. I think he'll be good in Toronto. But Suggs is exactly who the Magic need. It completely changes the outlook of their team. And here's the thing. like You would know, JJ, as a Knicks fan, like we've just had shitty draft luck the last couple of years, and it really stings. So actually have something work out for you is a really great feeling. It is a tremendous feeling. All the best to you. You get the Thank guy you. you want, and now you can enjoy yourself. Now you can have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. You get Jalen Suggs. On me. I get Anthony Rizzo, and everybody's happy. Exactly. Good stuff. Everybody's happy. Now, I'll tell you who shouldn't be happy for what it's worth. The Los Angeles Lakers. And I get what most of the narratives are going to be. LeBron gets his guy. Russ is coming home. Former MVP. Former UCLA star is going to come full circle and be a Los Angeles Laker, I think this move is a disaster for the Lakers. I think it is an absolute disaster because you don't need a ball-dominant guard whose decision-making is questionable, who cannot shoot to be the guy that's the missing piece for the Lakers to get back to and to win an NBA Finals. And I've heard a lot of people say throughout the day, Oh, but he's going to take the pressure off of LeBron. He's going to take the pressure off of AD throughout the regular season. Who cares? Who cares? I actually thought earlier in the day, the Lakers were going to make a slam dunk move and get Buddy Heald. Hot take, even though it ain't so hot. Buddy Heald would fit the Los Angeles Lakers a heck of a lot better than Russell Westbrook. I said it. I have no problem owning that one. I do not see this ending well. You telling me all of a sudden now, Russell Westbrook, 
is going to turn into this like sharpshooting guy who doesn't need the ball in his hands and his game is just drastically going to evolve. To me, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You just can't. So this is a puzzling move. I'm sure LeBron wanted it. Nothing happens in Los Angeles without the approval of the king. We know that. LeBron, in many ways, is calling the shots. But I found that rather stunning. Stunning. Did not expect that to be the case. Now, before we welcome in Jeff Money, I'm looking at the World Series odds that right now are ever-changing on FanDuel Sportsbook. But I was curious. I said, okay, what do we got? Mets, Yankees, and just the overall board in general. To the surprise of no one, the Los Angeles Dodgers, they're the favorites, plus 330. Houston is the favorite in the American League. They're plus 460 to win the World Series. Then you got Chicago. Then you got San Diego. You know who's fifth on that list? And I'm surprised by this, but it makes sense because of the Grom and of their division. They're going to be in the playoffs. Mets are 10 to 1. 10 to 1. It's a little lower than I thought. Milwaukee, Tampa, and Boston are all at 12 to 1. San Fran has got the best record basically in the National League is at 15 to 1. So where are the New York Yankees? If you want to get invested, if you're a believer that the turnaround starts now, that the Yankees are going to get that wild card, that they're going to go on a run, yada, yada, yada. They are 22 to 1 over FanDuel Sportsbook. 11 to 1 to win the American League pennant. I wish I would have hopped on the Yankee pennant odds now as opposed to earlier when I got them at like three to one and I was thinking that was good value. Missed the boat on that one. This guy never misses the boat. Our dude, Jeff Money. What's happening, baby? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for Friday the 30th. I got two plays for you. First play, money play. I'm going to go with the Oakland Athletics minus the 125 over the Angels. It'll be Basket versus Sandoval. Basket is 6-0 with a 4.11 ERA on the road versus Sandoval 1-3 with a 4.41 ERA at home. Now, you know the A's against lefties. They're excellent. They're 25-15 and 15 this year. Game number two, I'm going with your New York Yankees, minus the 150 over the Marlins. It'll be Talon versus Thompson. Talon is actually 2-0 with a 1.47 ERA his last three outings, and Thompson is 0-1 with a 3.62 with 67 ERA his last three outings. So, again, I got two plays, money play, Oakland Athletics minus the 125, and I'm going to take the Yankees minus the 150. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's cash him, Jeff Money. Let's have a profitable weekend. Um, Tyon has thrown the ball really well for the Yankees over his last five or six starts. Thompson's having a good year, though, for the Marlins. Yankees need to have a big weekend. The Yankees are going to win this wild card. And they're going to be playing either Boston or Tampa in, what, two months or so. You got to beat up on these bad teams. And the Marlins, 14 games under 500. They're a bad team. Oakland, I think, is going to get hot this weekend. I like the logic there. They did not have a great week in San Diego. They're a much better team than the Anaheim Angels. I I like Oakland as well. That's a play that I'm going to hop on with you. Yankees, I don't think I'm laying 155. I will lay 120 or 125 with the A's. So a family play to start your weekend off right. We are back Sunday night, and we are really going to start to ramp it up as far as the NFL season. Because, folks, 
It's going to be August. That means we are about a month away from the madness beginning. And no, I'm not talking about the NCAA tournament. I'm talking about Sundays and Thursdays and Mondays and 11-hour days on the couch and all sorts of parlays and teases and fantasy beaks, you name it. So we'll continue our primer as training camp continues. And tough loss potentially for the Giants with one of their guards on an offensive line that's not particularly deep to begin with. You better hope everything shakes out okay there with Mr. Lemieux. But we'll be back on Sunday. We got a Spotify Green Room Friday, right after the deadline, around 4.15, 4.30. Stay tuned on Twitter. Follow me, John Jastrzemski, on Spotify Green Room. You'll get all those notifications. And that way we go live. You're live right there with us. Fellas, outstanding job. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. JJ signing off. Take care.